Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Clock hour, we are here in Reno, in Vegas. We're in Vegas, but we're on in Reno, ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. Spence Crawford, big boxing match this weekend, a little north of here, UFC. 291 is going on as well. We're going to talk to Stephen Thompson a little later in the hour. That's how quickly the audibles happen. I was saying during the break we were going to switch something right. up because we might have some guests coming in, but I want to bang out the big four because we got some good stuff to get to. Demond's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Again, we're here at the Media Center. Uh, thanks to Showtime and Showtime Pay-Per-View for having us on the scene. Let's get to it. Big four. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the big four at four. Number four. Double-edged sword here. Did you see that Jimmy Garoppolo the other day said that people in Vegas are very inviting? Mm. They like talking. Even if you don't know them, it's a cool interaction. Vic Tafer, who is, he's a troublemaker. Uh, he's a guy who I think we broke the news uh, about a month ago. I don't know if Damon remembered. I forget who was doing the show at the time. I think we got Vic basically to admit that he might be moving soon from the Bay Area. You know, a lot of these guys who cover the Raiders... Uh, Paul Gutierrez, too, and, you know, Paul's wife works for the Giants. Um, they've stayed in the Bay Area, and they come back and forth. Yeah. Um, so, listen, Vic's a Bay Area guy. He put this comment out about Jimmy Garoppolo saying people here are really nice and slugged it. People in Vegas nicer than the Bay Area, question mark? What do we think? I don't think people are nicer in, the, uh, in Vegas than the Bay Area. I think that Vegas is much smaller than the Bay Area, and thus your interactions with people, I think, are a little bit more sort of more intimate. You know what I mean? It's a small town, and people know who Jimmy Garoppolo is. I think in the Bay Area, it's a big, way bigger. I mean, I was just out there like about a month and a half ago. It's crazy, and everybody's doing their own thing. I think it's more of like a, you know what? You kind of in the rat race out in the uh, the Bay Area. You know what I mean? Not here, here in good old Las Vegas. Devon, you buying it? We're nicer people than Northern Californians? I'm buying it 1,000%. Jimmy G is spot on. Where you talk about it being smaller, JVT, because people just want to talk. You go to a casino, you can just talk to somebody just Mm -hmm. out in the middle of the street. I am telling you, I have had plenty of conversations. You know what's a big hidden bars for me lately? Talking about the grid. Just talking about the grid with a random guy. Chatting it up, having Stop. the best of time. You've not walked up to strange people <laughs> around Las Vegas. Oh yeah, or Henderson. No, yes. you haven't. Yes, it, and, and talked about immaculate grit. Yes, I have. Baseball games being on. Be like, hey oh man, God. have you heard about this game? Me and this one guy, random guy, had a great did time. You buy stock in this thing? <laughs> you, you love it. You love it so much. Pushing it to everybody I know. You know the funny thing about people being nicer in Vegas is I've heard on uh, mass from our behind-the-scenes people, our producers, our board ops, that you can't meet women in Vegas. So are we all nicer in Vegas? What's the problem with the collection of producers, Damon? You've heard the the whining from some of these guys. They're having trouble with the ladies out and about at bars. It's uh, it's a different market out here in Vegas when it comes to the ladies, you know, because they see what they could possibly attain when it comes to the men out here yes. and we aren't in that uh, stratosphere let's say you know mm, i think you might be from a conversation standpoint. i'm not doing bad for myself there, let me there, say. i think i think there are others who are placing the blame on the ladies uh, i think it's their fault uh, now here's the here's this double-edged sword you're not gonna let me talk because you know we're not gonna be nice well because i don't want you to annihilate <laughs> well you you've got a wife and i'm assuming your wife's from vegas so uh no she's not she's oh. from uh, merced california which is actually like you know i don't know two and a half hours out uh, from the bay area so uh, 
Uh, I, I've always said I've I've never uh, been with a woman or dated a woman for a while. I'll stop there. No, that I didn't meet in a bar. And I am a troll. Okay. You got to talk. That's hey, well. That's just the chat them up. It's being that, and I mean, be it confident. Helps to be actually funny and like you know, somewhat conversational. Okay. And Let's not mention names. Okay. Uh, now Let's the see. other part of Jimmy G's comment I didn't mention, and now I'm backing off on this. He said, "Quote: I haven't had that in a long time. Being from the Midwest, it was pretty refreshing. Do not." Oh, so now he's taking shots in New England too. Ooh, that I like this. Yeah. Not just San Francisco. Yeah. Maybe he's talking about up there and the Northeast. Okay. Jimmy G. It's not all about his looks. No. He's also, it seems like, pretty fragile, emotionally uh, emotional guy. No, I think he's actually the opposite. We played audio yesterday, and I loved when he said, I don't I don't really, you know, I'm not going to talk about my injury in the offseason. I wasn't worried about it. He is he is not a look at social media guy. He's he's cool as a cucumber, man. He's what we need here in Vegas. No more of this punching down and getting worried about who's on social media and banning everyone. The fake nice guy act. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Duplicitous personality. Uh, again, we're not going to mention the person we're talking about there, but we've we've basically done a thinly veiled job of hammering two different people. Are we sure he's not just like just basing this off one conversation he had with one person out Probably. here in Las Vegas? And and the other thing is, I wasn't there, so was the follow up? Was it a woman? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, yes. Or lots of women, right. like Jimmy. Wow, Jimmy, these, Jimmy. these women are just so nice to me. Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah, I it's crazy. Like that's a blanket statement. If the other gender isn't nice, then all of Vegas. We know why the women. Could it be because you're nice. one of the most handsome men that's nah. ever been put in front of a camera? God, he's beautiful. Number three. Number three. You know who's not Jim Ursa? He is a trainer. Uh, back in the day, he's, maybe. He's lived well. Again, back to Demond's point about three minutes ago about uh, what you got and what maybe people can get. They'll be real friendly to you. Jim Ursa, you know. Uh, did he hit the triple? Nah. No. He was standing on third base and then got the home run. Yeah. Oh, back in the day? I think he was a power lifter, right? Oh, yeah. yeah that's that true. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, well, anyway, there's no reason to take shots at Jim Irsay uh, until we do now. Um, how much do you think he loves Gardner Minshew? Because in the Midwest, they're going to love Minshew mania. Did you see the latest story on Minshew, who could start, could be the backup with uh, A-Rich there, um, AK-47. Um, he claims that he slept on a mattress in college that he found near a dumpster. I I love I love that. I mean No, here's the you, thing you though. Find no. what you need to find. And he still drives a two thousand eleven Acura. Okay. Which are nice cars by the way, one of the best paint jobs you're gonna see, especially in the nineties. They just they do not get beat up. Here's the thing. Drives this, an Acura. This is what I don't slept like. on a dumpster mattress. This is what I don't Great like. Great guy, you gotta root from the start. The tweet is but he still slept on a mattress. That doesn't make any sense. Does he sleep on it now, or did he used to sleep on the mattress? Okay? You need oh, to know he, these if things. If he's still sleeping on a dumpster mattress after making over $5 million in right. the NFL, that's awesome. No, that's not. Now Why you're not? just doing it for the character. Enough. I'm not asking you to go. What spare room? I'm not at, I own, own. I own two Tempur-Pedics. I'm not an NFL. I'm not an NFL quarterback. Hey, you're out of control. No, I'm not. That's a terrible it's expenditure. Particularly within and, my budget. Unless we get a mattress store who wants to sponsor And the other? Um, you can't beat a Tempur-Pedic. We're done paying it off. I'm going to flip it for more. Paying it off? Th- this is the problem. I paid it off. I own this it. Is, this is the problem. Gardner Minshew understands fiscal responsibility. Yes, so do you, I. You, you're making payments on a mattress. That's right. What is going on? By the way, made. I'm done. What was the interest rate on that? 33% on a friggin' mattress? Can no, they repo that. a mattress? Got yeah, done can to nine. they? Oh, I bet you they... They're not messing around. You might be in it, and they're pulling it out of the house. 
the point is. Good for you, though. You paid it off. So That's I'm, right. I'm proud of I, you. Yeah, I paid things off, all right? Paid off a car, all that kind of stuff. This is what we do here at Montable House, all right? That's what we do. Um, you can afford a normal mattress, okay? Like a normal one. You're doing it for the bit. It's a reminder of who you were. No, and, it's not. and where you are now. No. What he's doing is buying into the bit of being Gardner Minshew. And I'm surprised you guys can't see through it. Number two. Number two. Why does Jim Irsay hate his starting running back? I don't know. Why does Johnny Taylor's awesome? Why would he come out and take a not even thinly veiled shot, just go right at running backs and talking about bad faith and negotiations when his guy is the next guy who's uh, going to be wanting a big contract? Absolutely. And, uh, by the way, Jonathan Taylor's agent has already uh, thrown her hat wow. into the ring uh, or his hat into the ring with just a uh, – Ian Rappaport tweeted out, I hope this relationship can be fixed, to which his agent responded, I doubt it. It's not the um, best thing to do. Now, I actually think if we get one of the if we get one of the MMA people in here and yeah. we want some background on his agent, his agent's also very interesting. Jonathan Taylor's agent, okay, Malky Kyle was kind of a clown, okay. So maybe that but, could but be that, but that, is, that, is, that is a that it is a nice posture move. Yes. To be like, wait, what did you just say? Now the the thing is, one when you say that, you assume the rest of the league's gonna be like, oh yeah, let's get Jonathan Taylor. I mean, the signs are there. He could go out and rush for fifteen hundred yards, sure. be healthy the whole way, be an MVP candidate, and he might freaking be greeted with crickets and two-year deals. Yep. And, well, and here's the thing as well. What Ursay said well, whether, you know, if you were, it was poorly timed because you have a, a, a running back entering his final year that needs a contract. And it was probably worded pretty prop, uh, poorly. But he is right in that like, what are we supposed to be doing here? You know? Like it's a collectively bargained agreement. I, I, I asked this to Adam when we were filling in for you the other day. When they had the big running back Zoom meeting. What are you hoping to achieve? Outside of, like, getting every NFL running back to sit out for a week to show the importance of the position, you know? But I think – actually, no. You, I know you could handle it a lot better, especially given what's going on with your own roster. They should be mad at Demora Smith. Yes. He's the guy negotiating on their behalf. And they should also be mad at themselves. Talk about the deal. Read about the deal. Get with teammates and see if they will support you. Yeah, I don't know how many fixes they have in the future for the running back position. It may be the one position that needs to be exempt from the franchise tag. Sure. Or rookie deals are now three years, as we've talked about, right? Because then even with the franchise tag, or just cut it down to one franchise tag in your first year, or you should be first deal is three years, because that's four years of team control at the most. Yeah, the negotiating and bad faith thing is a very mixed topic. Number right. one. Number one. Yeah, we mentioned Sean Payton talking trash, which is, I, this is going to be great, and He's back down. But, you know, once you start doing stuff like that, and he still has kind of that TV person, personality mentality, I think he's going to have moments like that again. Like, he, I saw him snapping yesterday at, at a couple of media members asking about injuries, and he's like, we don't talk about injuries. To which I would be like, we're still going to ask about it every day. You know why? Because our bosses want to know. Right. So you can, you can say you don't talk about injuries. I'm going to ask you anytime there's a pertinent subject that involves an injury, I'm going to ask you. So chill, right? But this stuff yesterday, just burying... Hackett burying the past. Uh, Robert Sala responded, and I, I don't, he was—I don't know what he was talking about. Uh, made it some animal analogy, and uh, <laughs> but now that you know, I'm sure the Jets will use that as bulletin board material uh, in Week Four of the season. Yeah, Peyton responded today. He said, eh, "You know what? The article with Jared Bell—that eh, was a mistake, and he regrets it. He didn't blame Jared Bell. I don't think. Uh, said he was still quote wearing his Fox hat and not his quote coaching hat. Okay." Okay. Sort of apology accepted? Actually, that's a real apology. Is that accepted? I mean, kind of. It's kind of a cop-out. I had my Fox hat on. Like, I guess it is. He did! How do you... Clearly, he did. I mean, 
Now, here's the great thing. For us, like, we, we cover Joshy, right? right McDaniel. Right. And he, he's very Belichickian. He's not going to say anything. We need the Paytons. We need the Robert Salas I guess to, my, to freaking go rogue and actually not do coach speak and not worry about bullets of war material. My follow-up would be then, are you sure your head's in the game here? Like you've been on the job for a while now. Yep. You know, training camp's now here, and you still are talking about, oh, I still have my Fox hat on here. That's a little bit of a problem. Well, I'll give you the other thing here that Peyton set himself up for. There are a lot of people out there who, when Peyton was going back and forth with the Broncos and and you know people were going gaga over his value and he's so coveted, who look back at the Saints era, good era. Great? I mean, great is winning lots of titles with – Breeze is the all-time passing leader in yardage, right? I think he's on top, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't he pass Brady? Whatever. He's one or two. I mean, one of the great quarterbacks of this generation. He didn't win multiple Super Bowls. Breeze and, is second. And he's second. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in history, the second stop for a lot of coaches after they achieved greatness with an organization because they had great players and great personnel people and they made good calls, the second stop sometimes you're like, whoa. I mean, Belichick, it's not a second stop, but look what he's going through without the great quarterback. So there's some questions about Sean Payton, like just how good is he? Sure. Like, let's not be too cocky here. Oh, of course. You're, you're very much setting yourself up to be absolutely clowned on at the end of the year, and especially if it's another bad year, the Jets go off, win eight, nine, ten games, go to the postseason, make a run and whatever, right? And you're sitting back and not really doing anything, and Russell Wilson is absolute dog doo-doo again. So, yeah, there's a lot of issues that could fall at his feet. Sarah's brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers' offices in Reno. Vegas and Henderson. You can call from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 766-1400-775 in the north. Yeah, this really is DeMond's dream weekend. Uh, I'm in. I'm in. Spence Crawford, great fight at 147, unbeaten. They're finally fighting. If they have a, a classic, we could see this two or three times. Either way, these guys could go on to much bigger and better things. Uh, we've got boxing here. We've got UFC up the road in Salt Lake. Uh, DeMond did a good job tracking down Stephen Thompson. Wonderboy is on the card. 40 years old. I mean, still can throw. Great striker. Hopefully this is a stand-up fight. And they started the conversation with the fact that, hey, Stephen Thompson's been out uh, because of injuries for about eight months. And uh, Wonderboy started talking about the, the process of the return. You know, it all had to do with uh, the healing process after the fight. It was a really tough fight. Ended up breaking my hand in, in uh, one of the rounds. So getting that healed up, making sure the the body was feeling great. You know, the older you get, the hard, the, the longer it does it takes to heal up. So just taking ample time off to make sure my body's 100% before I step back out there. And then with that fight with Kevin Holland, how was that one of that coming off of that fight? You talked about healing, but even the fan reaction of just that being just definitely a fight of the year, a memorable fight inside the UFC. Oh, man, it was awesome, man. I mean, at, when you're in there, you know, you're not really thinking this is an exciting fight. You're just thinking about, you know, winning the fight, going out there, putting on a, putting on a show, and, um, you know, and you don't really know what happens during the fight until you watch it afterwards. So when I, when I stepped out of the arena, I looked at my social media, everybody was talking about how it was fighters, you know, fight of the year. And I'm like, no way, it was that it was that exciting. So I went back and I watched it again, and man, it was it was it was fireworks, you know, going out there and, and having a good dance partner and, and Kevin Holland makes all the difference in the world. And I think it's going to be the same way with uh, Michelle Pajeda. Yeah, speaking of Pajeda, when it comes to the right time, the body healing up, what was it? Was it when the UFC came to you about this matchup? What did you like about it? 
Man, everything, to be honest with you. The two fights before Kevin Holland were grappling, not two exciting fights. You know, the guys held me down, didn't really take any punishment. Fans didn't like it. When I got the fight, Kevin Holland, man, we put on a show, fight of the year. And, of course, when I got asked to fight Michelle Pahead, I'm like, man, this is going to be another fight of the year fight right here because we both have very similar styles. You know, he comes from a karate capoeira background. I come from a karate background. It's going to be fireworks. Again, talking to Stephen Thompson here on Cofield Company on ESPN Las Vegas. I've got to ask you, you are one of the best strikers of all time in the UFC, but what's something that the novice fan or just, you know, those are that are not that adept in the, in the intricacies of striking, what is something that maybe they missed that you see inside the octagon when you see those opportunities? Man, there's a lot of things that uh, there's a lot of things that I don't see that my coaches see and that I see that most you know normal people don't see, and the distance management, you know, the small micro movements that your opponent makes when dropping their guard, and you have to be able to, you know, to capitalize on that little small movement or that hand droppage or um, just uh, just being able to be in tune with your opponent is 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 so important out there, and little movements and being able to predict techniques before they're thrown so that way I can counter off them or counter at the same time they throw them. There's, there's just so much. My one of the interesting things that you do, because I'm one of those people that lives on YouTube, is that you break down fights. So does that help you prepare yourself for getting inside the octagon or help you with your training when you're breaking down the fights of other top-level fighters? Oh, 100%, man. If you're able to break guys down like that, especially high-level strikers or grapplers or just MMA fighters in general, you're able to kind of understand a little bit more about the game, about what they do, and hopefully implement a little bit of those techniques into your own game uh, whenever you're training. So, uh, you know, that's why I kind of like breaking fighters down and watching them. I get asked a lot about high-level strikers, and, and um, you know, not a whole lot of people can understand what, they, what, they're, what they're doing out there, um, and I like to try to break that down for, the, for people. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun for me. Something else when I fell down the YouTube rabbit hole that I saw about you is that you also break down the fights from movies where you're doing like the movie breakdown. I think it was for GQ and some other outlets. What is the best movie fight you've ever seen? Oh, man. Movie scene, fight scene that I've ever seen? Yeah. Oh, man. There are so many. Number one, one of my biggest, what got me into like like the movies, especially the fight scenes, was uh, was the, the first Matrix movie, which was really, really good because they turned regular actors into literally look like they've been doing martial arts their entire life, which was super impressive. But also like, you know, guys like Jackie Chan who make the fight scenes a little bit more realistic and comical. So, I mean, Rumble the Bronx was a really good one. It was like action from start to finish. Go check that one out as well if you haven't seen that one. But, uh, man, I mean, there's so many out there, it's kind of hard to pick just one. But uh, the first Matrix and, and Rumble the Bronx uh, and any Jackie Chan movie, to be honest with you, is a lot of fun. All right, so I've got to ask, I see that also on your IMDb, you've got the credit for Cobra Kai, the Karate Kid spinoff TV show on Netflix. Is acting, is that something that you would want to get into maybe in a few years when you're finishing up in the UFC or even during? Oh, 100%, man. I would love to get into some acting. Um, you know, the Cobra Kai thing, I was, I was expected to have a bigger scene in that, but they decided to film my, my, my big fight scene during the week. I was in Vegas getting ready for my fight, so we couldn't do it. So they just kind of kept me in there as a little cameo, but uh, it was a, yeah, it's a ton of fun, man, and and just being able to do you know little things like the Jose Cuervo commercial that I did with Kevin Holland was a ton of fun, and just doing the fight scenes in general was was just was just super interesting. And is have any movies reached out to you to come in and be maybe like a fight coordinator or anything like that? Hey, 
Wonder Boy, we need you to help us make this look as real as possible. Not yet, man. Not yet. But I, I have befriended a lot of stuntmen and actors that are, that are in uh, movies or in the Avatar movies and um, some movies that are coming out. So um, you never know, man. You might be seeing uh, Steve Wonder Boy Thompson in something here pretty soon. Again, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson joining us here on ESPN Las Vegas. Only got a couple more questions for you. I've got to ask, yesterday at Media Day, there was a couple of jokes when it first started of, hey, are you the oldest fighter on the card? Or, you know, not obviously not the oldest one still on the UFC roster, but you're the veteran that still got it. How many more fights do you think you have left in the UFC? Man, I'll do this as long as my body will let me or when my coaches say I'm done, you know? I mean, I don't take a ton of punishment, you know, whenever I'm out there in the fight. and I take care of my body in training. So I got. I know I got a small window. Can I do what I want to do with it? But uh, I can keep going, man. I, I feel great right now. I don't take a lot of punishment. I'm ready to rock and roll. And when you're out there in the octagon, do you wear it as a badge of honor almost? Where you know the the main event of this card, you know, the BMF title. But do you wear that as a badge of honor with you being a fan favorite, someone that the fans know? Hey, he's going to stand in there and trade, and that's what most fans are coming to see. Yeah, man. I mean, I I don't know. You know, I, I expect that uh, Michelle Pajeda is going to maybe look to use his bigger body and, and strength against me, maybe try to clinch me up and get me down to the ground. Uh, but I'm prepared for it. I'm ready for wherever the fight's going to go. And, and uh, if it's standing or if it's on the ground, I'm ready to rock. Steven, thank you so much for your time today, man. Before I let you go, anything you want to let the fans know? Well, just hopefully you guys tune in on uh, July 29th, UFC 291. Um, check out my fight with Michelle Pajeda. It's going to be exciting. Let's go. Nice job there by both you, Damon, and Wonder Boy, who is a really exciting fighter to watch, unless he gets in a matchup where, you know, someone wants to grapple or just freaking counter and stay away from him. So I don't think that's going to be the fight this weekend. But, yeah, UFC 291 tomorrow night. We're out here at Spence Crawford outside of T-Mobile getting ready for that fight as well. Damon, you asked him a really good question, and he did. I don't think he took to it the way uh, you wanted him to on the, the best. Can I expand it to the best movie fight or TV fight? Yeah. So what do you look for in a movie or TV fight, personally? Like, something that's realistic or just straight-out entertaining? I'm there for entertainment. I don't need it to be too realistic. Obviously, I want the stunt guys to look like they're laying it in, as we'd say in the wrestling business. You don't want it to look like, oh, that guy, that punch was thrown from 10 feet away, but I love action fights. John? I would say same thing. Um, I like coordination. I don't like a lot of cuts. So, like, if you look at, like, some of like, the Marvel movies, for example, and a lot of the fight scenes, you see a bunch of cuts in terms of, uh, like, frames. Yeah. So you can't really follow what's going on. If there's a lot of continuity there in that regard, I'm in with that. All right. Um, I can split between cheesy but also emotional. Okay. So I'm going to go way back. You hate Rocky movies, don't you? You don't even watch them? That's not that I hate them. I've Adam. never seen them. Okay. I uh, do think Rocky. Uh, Rocky Rocky 1 is a little ridiculous. Um, come on. Apollo Creed dying in a fight against Drago. And then the Drago side just, like, good. Good. If he dies, he dies. Yep, that he's it? dead. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. I actually was just watching back. Uh, now nah, I just blanked on the name of the show. What the hell's the name of the show? Uh, Ozark, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a road rage scene with Jason Bateman, who's oh, not a fighter, yeah. and he just because uh, Wendy, the wife, is like pretty close to getting punched in the face by a guy, and he just snaps and just gives him like five right, five right crosses, and the guy just slumps to the ground. That's oh, a that's good one. And honestly, if I had, I wish I had seen the follow-up video of naked lady with a gun on San Fran uh, Speedway, not Speedway, Highway. You know, they, they took her peacefully. Oh, they did? What is that? Take her out! I mean, if you break her leg. I mean, that's technically not a fight. Right. But, like, if there, because she actually, not only did she shoot at passing cars, she pulled out a knife at some, at some point. Like, at that point, we're going hand-to-hand with naked lady. Where was she I'm carrying not. it? 
I, dude, I don't. She was naked. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she had it taped under her. I mean, her bosom she was, was medium sized. Oh, you think she could actually lift one and put? I it don't underneath? know. But she just she looked like a, a well built lady. Okay. By the way, good on Stephen Thompson too. Uh, the Rumble in the Bronx is actually one of my favorite like okay. old school movies. So. That's right. Did uh, does anyone want to go with uh, Bloodsport? Anything with Jean Claude Van Damme when he was kind of you know young looking? I, don't, I think I've only seen like one Jean Claude Van Damme really? movie. Yeah, but yeah, Bolo there's... Bolo was the real star of Bloodsport. Who's that? Uh, the bad guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He's a little bit that when he uh, when he does uh, didn't he finish a fight and just that scream with the sweat coming off him? Ah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful Bolo's stuff. I love it. Oh man, what we got going on there. Um, damn it! I had one more. Uh, you know what? If you go way back, uh, Clint Eastwood fighting uh, Philo Beto, I think the character's name was, in uh, Every Which Way But Loose, I think was the name of the show. There was an orangutan. And, but, but they used to fight. Um, who, the, who does Peter Griffin fight? Is it chicken. a chicken? Yeah, chicken. Right? <laughs> that, that is a playoff of what Philo Beto and Clint Eastwood's character would do. Or maybe Clint Eastwood was Philo Beto, whatever. I think he was. But they would fight through like barns and through houses, and it would just uh, go through okay. the whole neighborhood. That's actually... Peter Griffin fighting the chicken is a playoff. Of that. I mean, if I could extend to that, those are some of the best fights ever. Oh, of course. <laughs> They're absolutely <laughs> tremendous. So creative. All right, we're coming back in a few. We got uh, just past the halfway point here on Cofield and Company. I think we're going to talk to Austin Trout a little later. We got Adam Hill checking in. We're going to try to hook up here with Luke Thomas pretty soon. We're at Spence and Crawford at the Media Center. This hour is brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers uh, in Reno and Henderson and Las Vegas. 766-1400 is the number. Busy day, busy day. Media tent's a little more crowded, huh? Feeling the heat a little bit? <laughs> oh, it's crazy. We're actually outside. They got some They got some AC pumping in here. But uh, now we got about 200 people in here. A lot of boxing folks, obviously. It's a boxing media tent for Spence against Crawford. The fight is here in Vegas. Tomorrow, pay-per-view. But, you know, you can buy tickets as well uh, for the fight at the Fortress. John, you're looking around? Well, it's just like, like I've said to you before, right? And I was going to ask Luke, and when, when we get to talk to him, some others, if we get to talk to him, it was just... You know, I can get the sense of how big this is, but since I don't follow it, I don't really revel in it the same as everybody else. But you cannot deny the energy and the excitement that is here, so it is pretty cool. I mean, this is one of those fights of the year. It's rare that you get two guys sort of at their peak, right? Uh, Bud Crawford's a little bit older, but he's not old old. He's 35, and they're unbeaten, right? And they're, you know, this is their division. I think they're both going to fight bigger after this. So I got to tell you, the where is UNLV going to go okay. um, is going to – we're talking about conference realignment and the speculation about who the Pac-12 wants and the Big 12 wants is probably on this show going to be put in Bandville where we're going to do it here and there, but I'm not doing rumors every day. I think that's stupid. I'm delete this But ACC. it is a big topic. No, it's, it's – it's, UNLV to the ACC. No, no, no. I'll delete it's, that. Well, that would be a story. <laughs> um, it is a gigantic topic because it's so fresh and it's just happening. And right now Pac-12 fans – in certain places, are like, what the frig is going on? Right. Colorado isn't a big loss on its own, but what's the domino effect here? And uh, one of the guys in lean on on ESPN on the TV side, uh, get up. Um, here was Paul Feinbaum kind of short and sweet on what he thinks of the future of the Pac-12. You may as well administer the Pac-12, Pac-12 last rides. It's over. And I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about next year when they lose USC, when Dion goes to the Big 12. There's really nothing left. And you can argue, oh, there's quality games. 
But this league has no, no longer has any relevance on the national stage without USC and losing Colorado. And by the way, they may lose more. So, you know, they can continue playing football. Good for them. But they will no longer be a Power Five conference, in my opinion. Yeah, and the losing Colorado, that's not the loss. The loss is the domino effect. And if Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah all go to the Big 12, I mean, then the numbers are so small. But let's not act like... We already knew about USC and UCLA, and there was hope for some expansion, and the conference sticks together, and there's a lot of good school. By the way, it's not just football, and I know that's the money driver, but um, there is, and there are things to offer with these historic institutions in the Pac-12, but they gotta gotta get friggin' moving here. Like this, if Klyavkov came off as a little confident, uh, overconfident, or naive last week when they were in Vegas for the media day, like this is a wake-up call. If you didn't know this was coming, now you know, and you, like, it's it's time to friggin' move. Yep. Like, in the next three weeks. And th- this is my thing. So when I was listening to Feinbaum's thing, my first thought was like, okay, maybe I do agree that the national relevance thing is not going to be there. But then I thought more about it when we were talking about the Big 12. And the more you look at, like, the members now, like, I don't think you're really blown away by the current members of the Big 12. Like, that's just such a conference that's so much better than what the Pac-12 can be if they retain. We had a Colorado, you know, he's not a Colorado guy, but we had a, a media member from Denver came on yesterday, Chad Anders from The Fan, and he was like... He's like, they're joining a worse conference, and it's not like this great football Because what people don't factor in is Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. Right. So if you if you tell me that you retain Oregon and Washington and the current construction, you add San Diego State, UNLV, and then let's say one more, because right there at 9, so they'll put you at 11, one more to get you to 12. You're really going to tell me that that conference as a whole is, like, head and shoulders below what the Big 12 is? I wouldn't think so, and especially when you factor in other sports like basketball that allow them to keep their status and be nationally relevant. And on the speculation of UNLV going lots of places, it's, it'll be interesting to follow. I'll say personally, I think the lack of information coming out of UNLV on this is awesome. Yeah. I, I think schools that have leaky athletic departments are generally a travesty. I'm not saying it's going to turn out positive, but to me, worst-case scenario is there's going to be some bulked-up Mountain West Conference at the worst. And then they're what, the fifth or sixth best conference mm-hmm. in the country? Okay. Okay. That's not, that's not a panic situation. Uh, coming up around the corner, we're going to talk to fight expert Luke Thomas from Showtime, formerly of Sirius XM. He's out here in the media tent for Spence and Crawford. Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. A lot of energy. Weigh-in is done. Spence Crawford, big fight at 147. Both guys unbeaten. little delayed of making this match because uh, Errol Spence had a car accident, had some issues with his eyes. Um, one of the great guys on the sport is Luke Thomas. And Luke is working with, working with Showtime. He was just doing the, the post-weigh-in show. And I was just saying, you're one of the great guys to talk to for boxing. But here's another reason, right? You know, when I cover this stuff, and even going back to like 2004 and 2003, I talked to UFC in boxing, and I was not into this rivalry. I didn't care. But I always felt like when you went to one or the other, it was like, we have to crap on the other one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, boxing's pretty healthy. UFC, we, we can quibble with matchmaking, but they're kicking ass in terms of money. So I always appreciated the fact that you, you were open. You weren't just an MMA guy back in the day. No. They are different communities. They're very different Which, communities. Why? 
Uh, well, dude, I'm going to say something. I'm not trying. I'm in no way trying to be provocative, but it really is true. There is a massive demographic difference between UFC and boxing audiences. Boxing audiences trend heavily African American and Latino, and UFC audiences trend heavily towards whites. Now, of course, there are all different kinds of fans of all different kinds of varieties and cross sections and blah blah blah. But basically, there is th just different communities gravitate to different combat sports. For me, I didn't want to make a choice. I just wanted to watch. Really great fighters do really great things. That's it. So I'm going to ask you because I enjoy combat sports. I like mixed martial arts. Oh, a here, lot we more. here we go. Here we go. No, well, no, it's actually I, a positive. I, you know, it's a positive. I, I just want to know, like, can you explain this to me in terms of what this moment is, right? Like, it, on a, like on Twitter, it's always like, put this in NBA terms. You know, I like this. The energy's awesome. People are clearly very excited for this. But for me, as somebody who doesn't follow boxing, I don't understand the magnitude of what is going to happen on Saturday. Yeah, night. Celtics, uh, Lakers, Bird, and Magic. Wow. Uh, yeah. Really? Sorry, really? sorry. I don't think that's in any way. Wow. I mean, obviously. Those guys are titans of a sport, titans of iconic franchises. There's going to be some ways in which this comparison falls apart. You're talking about in Spence and Crawford, two of the most skilled operators, undefeated. They have taken on everyone, literally. There is literally, you could say Keith Thurman is left. Not a, not a bookmaker in this city would favor Keith Thurman to beat either of these guys, not even make it out of the fight going the distance. So you're talking about... A iconic division at 147. This is, of course, where Pacquiao and Mayweather had fought and Sugar Ray Leonard and so many heroes, I use that word quite genuinely, of boxing have been. This is the heir to the greatest, arguably, one of the greatest divisions out, certainly outside of heavyweight, and that long tenure they've had of putting on iconic matchups between iconic fighters. You're, the winner of this can claim to be the best fighter in boxing. They're undefeated. All for belt, all the all four belts. First time in the four belt era. That's going to be happening at this weight class. What more could you possibly want? And let me add a little another another detail there. Who are they as fighters? Because everyone said, well, Mayweather and Pacquiao was big, and then the fight was kind of a dud. Which I agree, it kind of was a dud. They, I was, were, all, they were also old at that point. Right, they I should mean, have fought in their prime. I mean, Manny after the fight was literally like, my my shoulder hurts. Right. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like yeah, join the club, guy. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, but, uh, Crawford's a little bit older, thirty three, and then uh, excuse me, thirty five, and then you have Spence at thirty three. Dude, let me just tell the audience if they are unfamiliar with some of these guys, Errol Spence, if you try describe his boxing style is a terminator an absolute come forward march you down but not a brawler a scientific high IQ pressure fighter that is who he is on the other side who is Bud Crawford he is messy he is the magician he is the guy who dazzles you in ways you cannot possibly believe until you see it on replay and you're like oh my god he did that Steph Curry from the fifth from the from the uh, for the uh, half court mm -hmm. mark right I mean just doing things that you couldn't possibly imagine other fighters doing all those things combined tomorrow right here what is there not to like uh well first off, i mean <laughs> was that like a good say, answer I was, yeah i was on the fence about buying it but i think i'm in now <laughs> on um, the fence yeah. well because here cause like i said it is expensive, I, it well, is expensive. it's expensive and again as somebody who just didn't really understand what the moment is and i will say this you know one of my biggest complaints is one that you've heard about boxing is these fights just generally don't happen right it's like catch weight it's this it's no belts on the line whatever it is are they getting better at that i was watching you guys on the way in right i think it was ariel who had a stat about you know how, as many times as belts have been on the line throughout this era is this something boxing is getting better at, putting these guys that need to fight together? So I, 
can say this year, yes. Okay. How long that will continue, I do not know. Uh, but right now, we're in an era where guys are risking it for the biscuit. Um, you mentioned the stat where, for example, if Bud Crawford wins tomorrow and unifies all four belts in this weight class, this will be the second weight class he's done that in. He did it previously in the last weight class, right? When he did that, when he beat Julius Ndongo and stopped him, I think, second or third round, that was the first time any boxer had done it by that point in 11 years. In 11 years. Now look at how many guys are crossing the political aisle, going to another promoter, going to a different network, or forcing the network they're with to say, look, look, let me go. We just saw Stephen Fulton Jr. fight Noya Inoue in Japan on Tuesday. I got to tell you, Stephen Fulton Jr. is not, you know, rep by any Japanese promoter. He's not rep by ESPN. He's a PBC guy. He's supposed to be on Showtime, but they worked out a deal to go make that happen, and I know he lost, but this is the thing we have to say. We always criticize these guys for not taking a risk, and then when they lose, oh, well, you're a bum. You lost. No, no. Stephen Fulton Jr. and these two guys both taking risks to make it happen. That's what you want. There's a spirit of that happening right now. It's working out at the box office. How long that will last, I do not know. Can I ask one more? Of course. Is that, yes. is that fighter? Luke Thomas is with us, by the way. Right. Is that fighter-driven or is that promoter-driven in terms of what we've seen recently? A little column A, column B, but I'm going to say mostly fighters. It's yeah. mostly the fighters. Like, for example, how did this fight get made? These guys got on FaceTime and being like, okay, forget all this other blah, blah, blah. You and me work this out. And then, of course, the lawyers got involved and did the, you know, T's and the crossing the T's and dotting the I's. But it was them taking the initiative to make it happen. It wasn't like they were saying, well, my promoter will handle this. You hear that kind of thing all the time. Well, that guy will do that for me. No, no, they made it happen. And so that's why we're here. It's really, and listen, Errol Spence has said it's a throwback fight since we covered their opening presser in New York City. It's a throwback fight. It's a 1980s fight. But he also said it that day is that day. We have to show fans and we have to show networks that you should not be penalized for taking a risk. You should be praised. You should be complimented, and you should be paid for it. They're going to be. This is the fruit of all that labor. So it sounds like you're optimistic that the winner of this fight, especially if it's a really good fight, could both guys then leap ahead to other divisions? Could it convince other fighters at 154 and 160? And we have a, a little two, three-year uh, era here where we're making a lot of fights because that's, that's always been the area where there's talented fighters, but we need the fights. Right. I mean, and we're coming off the heels again. I'm going to say it again. Tank and Ryan, right, where these two and guys... And that did Bafo numbers, right? I think 1.2 million pay-per-view buys, which in 2023 is like... Dude, that's like 2.5 million buys 10 years ago, or you know, even less than that probably. But uh, in general, I, I think I would just say that um, we as a community, if you like boxing, this is the kind of fight that you should be okay paying for. I mean, how many times do you see people like, yeah, I'm going right. to stream that one. And you know, you can't really argue with them because it's like the third pay-per-view that month and you understand. Right. Dude, th- you, you need to put your dollars in this business where it matters. And not to say we're trying to enrich everybody who's already rich, but rather if people are going to take sacrifices, so to speak, to to bring you something like this, it should be rewarded at the box office and at the pay-per-view uh, by, uh, by rate. Do you hate the crossover fights? Boxing, MMA. Do you hate Diaz and Jake Paul? Do you guys have that fight next week? What do you mean? Showtime. I think it's a DAZN fight. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we'll start with that one because uh, Ngannou Fury is a whole different follow-up. I mean, it's like, dude, do I think it's a great fight? Like, I like Nate. I'm not going to say bad things about Nate. Right. The reality is this. I was just talking to Chris Algieri over here, who, of course, fought Errol Spence. And we were talking. And, you know, in boxing, for example, Fury and Ngannou, boxing fans are 
irate that Fury basically ducked Usyk in order, like he had a he had a the fight to make. For example, a unification, one face, one name, one guy. That, this was the moment, and he ducked that to go make the Ngannou fight. But on the MMA side, it's like, yo, Francis is about to get paid, right? You just don't see because of the market structure. Right. MMA fighters can't make bags like that. So you're asking me about Diaz and Jake Paul. You know, is it Spence Crawford? It's not. No. But am I happy to see a guy who's been in the trenches like Nate Diaz get a bag? Yes. Yes, I am. Can Diaz end this? A- end <laughs> Wait, it? Enough of Jake Paul. Jake Paul do you I'm, I'm actually I'm impressed. He's gotten a lot better. Um, you know, he's somewhat formidable against the guys he's fought. Yeah. I think, I think the issue with Jake Paul is, like, dude, Jake Paul's gotten Tyron Woodley paid. He got Ben Askren paid. He's going to get Nate Diaz paid. He got Anderson Silva paid. Maybe we don't want it then. He's, uh, he's actually helping dude, out a lot who, of MMA who, fighters. Who are, the these, yeah, who are these MMA fans who don't want to see these guys get the bag? I don't right. even really understand I, I'm, it, just, right? I'm just talking about it from the standpoint of, like, stop having a guy who's a YouTube fighter take out MMA. It doesn't make them look good as strikers. No, it really makes them look quite bad. And, of course, he's not fighting guys in their prime. Yeah. He's fighting them at the end of the run. And they, they, they extended it, by the way, from an 8 to a 10-round fight. I do think that changes the equation for Diaz a little bit. But, you know, do I care about it? Again, it is uh, it is what it is. It's not high-level boxing, but uh, more power to him. Do we ever get the crossover the other way? Because we had Tyson Fury, right? What was it? The walk into a dark room and I'll come out. Yeah. Like, and, you're, uh, not, you're not coming out if it's a fight in a room. He, right. Rogan got the whole thing started, and it was yeah. like, oh, if we go into a room. Like, if you go into a room, it's not going to be a freaking stand-up boxing match. Right. It's going to be a street fight. You're, yeah. you're going down in an instant, and Jones is going to kill you. So it's funny. There's been guys over the years in boxing who you thought maybe could cross over. Kermit Centron was a wrestler previously before he got going. How about Bud Crawford? You guys ever seen Bud Crawford wrestle? Yeah. yeah. Dude is good. Yeah. Very good. Wow. So he could have been somebody you would imagine wouldn't be that hard to train. The problem is, dude, why would you go to a place where the market is monopolized? You don't have access to the top talent. You're not going to make... Like, here's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, these MMA fighters are showing, they're showing these boxers how to cross over. No. They're going for the biggest check. Yes. And if the roles were reversed, you might see the opposite. But because it's not, you don't. It's a market function, not, you know, a certain kind of martial arts bushido. I'm glad Ngannou's getting paid. I think he's going to get slaughtered. Probably. In all I mean, you're talking about right? one of the great defensive boxers uh, in heavyweight history against a guy who's probably going to gas out quickly. And also, we've seen Fury drop before, but it was Steve Cunningham who is, you know, a, kind of like a... Like a cruiserweight, you know? Francis is big, and he's powerful, but he ain't cruiserweight fast, you know? And yeah. Tyson, unless this, unless Tyson really just goes, this this bum isn't going to do a thing to me, you know, and shows up Ooh. fat and out of shape, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it could be a bit of a problem, but, like, in all likelihood, there's really no good reason Francis should win. Luke Thomas, uh where can people find your stuff on a regular basis? Yeah, I work for Showtime and CBS, but the best place to go for one-stop uh, shop everything, youtube.com slash morning combat. Morning combat is my show, and the combat is spelled with a K. No, I didn't make that choice. Morning combat. They made it for me. <laughs> it's a good one, though. They made good. it What for do you guys me. got in terms of coverage tomorrow? Yeah, so my uh, co-host will be covering the UFC fights, so he'll have a post-fight show once the fights are over. I will be doing the prelims tomorrow for Showtime. You can catch it on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. And then after the fights, I'm going to be doing a post-fight reaction, Spence Cross. Offered morning combat. By the yes. way, this guy is a great dad. At least from what I see on social media. I don't know. Why do you say that to me? I'm a dad too. Are you kidding no, How old is your kid? Uh, I've got two. One is four, one is two. I've got one that's uh, just turned four. Okay, yeah. Love of my no, life. I, I love John's parenting. When we talk about it, I'm like, I don't want to say old school, but like he is a disciplinarian. Yeah, I mean, you got to leave him in a hot car once in a while. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Like I said, I'm when we're, on, I'm we're on live radio. Dump, 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 dump. We go out, you know? <laughs> just leave him with a, bo- yeah, a bag of food and some water. They're fine. I love it. 
Awesome, dude. Thank you for joining hey, us. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you, yeah, Steve. I've known Steve a long time, man. You're still doing your thing. I'm really happy to see it. Lucky, right? To have our long we, run. We are. We are. <laughs> Seriously. Thanks, Luke. There yep. he is. Luke Thomas working with Showtime. Morning Combat is great. And then they're, they're on all these different platforms, so you can see him in short form. I, I actually I see him a lot now on TikTok, uh, but he's, he's awesome. He's down the middle. I mean, if you weren't fired up for the fight, right? Oh, that cell was great. And that's genuine excitement. He, he, lo- he loves the fight game. Well, Plus, he's also, he's to be believed, too, as a guy who scrapped a little bit. He trained mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu. He's like, I don't know what he is, 6'5", 260. Um, so he really loves the sport. And he's kind of you know gotten to the, the nitty-gritty at times. But a great voice on MMA and boxing. And, uh, yeah, one of the guys, when, when I, he was, uh, was kind of doing it a little before I did. He was actually doing terrestrial radio, I think, on the fan in D.C. And I'm like, you know, there are so few of us doing MMA, especially on terrestrial radio. This is a big deal. And now look where he is. It's a big success story. So more on the fight coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Media Row, Radio Row for Spence and Crawford. Pay-per-view tomorrow on Showtime.